are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you'd like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagrida. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people, implanting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 293, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 118 to 125. Chapter 8. Explanation of the miracle through which the sacramental species were preserved in the Most Blessed Mary, from one communion to the next, the manner of its operation after she came down to the church from heaven. 118. Until now, I have only very slightly touched upon the miracle mentioned in the above heading, and in order that so great a miracle of the Lord in favor of his most loving mother may not be without the special mention demanded by our piety, I have reserved it for this chapter. My own limited powers of explanation grieve me, for not only am I ignorant of infinitely more than what I perceive concerning it, but even what I know I can describe only in most unsatisfactory and inadequate terms, and by language falling far short of my conceptions. Nevertheless, I dare not pass over in silence the benefits conferred upon our great queen by the right hand of her divine son after she had descended from heaven, to take charge of his church on earth. For if they were great and ineffable before that time, they now increase in eminent variety, and exhibited at the same time the infinite power of him who conferred them, and the immense capacity of that singular and chosen creature who received them. 119. To explain this rare and prodigious blessing, that the sacramental body of Christ and the sacred species should be preserved continually in the bosom of Mary, it is not necessary to seek for another cause than that the underlying all the other favors with which God distinguished this great lady, namely, that it was his holy will, and according to his infinite wisdom, by which he performs according to measure and weight all that is befitting, wisdom 11.21. Christian prudence and piety will be content to know as a reason that God had singled this mere creature out to be his natural mother, and that therefore she alone of all creatures deserved this distinction. As this miracle of her mothership was unique and without parallel, it would be shameful ignorance to seek proofs of what the Lord did in her by comparing it with what he did or ever will do in other souls, since Mary alone rises supereminently above the common order of all. Yet, though all this is true, the Lord nevertheless wishes that by the light of faith and by other enlightenment we seek the reasons of the propriety and equity according to which the powerful arm of the Almighty wrought these wonders in his most worthy mother, so that in them 
we may know and bless him in her and through her, and so that we may understand how secure our salvation, all our hope, and our lot are in the hands of that powerful queen, toward whom her son has directed all the excess of his love. In accordance with these truths, I will explain what has been made known to me of this heavenly mystery. 121. The Heavenly Mother lived thirty-three years in the company of her Son and true God, and from the time when he was born of her virginal womb, she never left him to the time of his death on the cross. She nursed him, served him, followed him, and imitated him, conducting herself always as a mother, daughter, and spouse, as a most faithful servant and friend. She enjoyed the sight of him, his conversation, his doctrine, and the favors which, by all these meritorious services, she attained in this mortal life. Christ ascended into heaven, and the force of love and right reason demanded that he should take to heaven with him his most loving mother, in order that he should not be deprived of her there, nor she in this world of his presence and company. But the most ardent love which both of them had for men dissolved in a manner these bonds of union, inducing our kindest mother to return to the world in order to establish the church, and moving the son to give his consent to her absence from him during the time. But as the Son of God was powerful enough to recompense her for this privation to a certain extent, it became for him an obligation of his love to make such a recompense. And the fulfillment of this obligation would not have been so publicly acknowledged or made so manifest if he denied his blessed mother the favor of accompanying her upon earth while he remained seated at the glory of the right hand of his father. Besides, the most ardent love of the Blessed Mother, having been accustomed and nourished in the presence of the Lord her Son, would have inflicted upon her insufferable violence, if, for so many years, she was to be deprived of that kind of presence of Him, which was possible during her stay in the Church. 121. For all this the Lord our Savior provided by continuing His sacramental presence in the heart of the most fortunate Mother, as long as she lived in the Church, after His taking His seat in Heaven. To a certain extent, he abundantly recompensed her by the sacramental presence, for that which she had enjoyed when he had yet lived with her in this world. For in those times he often absented himself in order to attend to the work of the salvation, and thus afflicted her heart with anxieties and fears, roused by the works in which he had to engage. And even when he returned, he could not remain always in her company. And when this was possible, his very presence filled her mind." with the terrors of his coming passion and death on the cross. This sorrow sometimes casts a shadow on the joy of her possessing him and attending upon him. But when he was established at the right hand of his eternal father, having sustained the torment of his passion, and when this, her same Lord and Son, took his rest sacramentally in her virginal bosom, then the Heavenly Mother enjoyed his presence without fear or disturbance. In the Son, she continually enjoyed the presence of the entire Trinity, by that manner of vision, which I have described before. Thus was fulfilled and realized literally what this great queen says in the canticles. I shall hold him, and will not leave him until I bring him to the house of my mother, the church. There I will give him to drink of the spiced wine, and of the juice of the pomegranates. Canticle 8.2.122 In this blessing the Lord fulfilled his promise made to the church and his apostles, that he should be with them to the end of time, Matthew 28.20. He had already anticipated the fulfillment of this promise even at the time when he resolved to ascend into heaven, for he had remained sacramentally present in his mother since the Last Supper 
as related above, but it would not have been entirely fulfilled after his ascension if he had not wrought this new miracle of the church. For in those first years, the apostles had no temple or proper arrangement for preserving continually the sacred Eucharist, and therefore they always consumed it entirely on the day of its consecration. The Most Holy Mary alone was the sanctuary and the temple, in which for some years the Most Blessed Sacrament was preserved, in order that the Church of Christ might not be deprived, even for one moment, of the Word made flesh, from the time when he ascended into heaven until the end of the world. Although he was not there present in that tabernacle for the use of the faithful, yet he was there for the benefit and for other more glorious ends. Since the great queen offered up her prayers and intercessions for all the Christians in the temple of her own heart, and she adored the sacramental Christ in the name of the whole church, while by his indwelling in that virginal bosom, Christ was present and united to the mystical body of the faithful. Above all, the great lady was the cause of that age's being supremely fortunate, for by thus sheltering within her bosom her sacramental Son and God, just as he is now harbored within the sanctuaries and tabernacles, he was continually adored with highest reverence and piety by the most blessed Mary, and was never offended as he is now in our churches. In Mary he was satiated with the delights which he desired to enjoy for the eternal ages among the children of men. Proverbs 8.31 and since all the assistance rendered to the church was rendered with these delights as an object, the Lord would not have gained this end even more fully than by remaining sacramentally present in the heart of his purest mother. She was the most legitimate sphere of the divinity, and as it were the proper element and the focusing point of its proper activity, and all the other creatures outside of the heavenly Mary were in comparison with her foreign to it, since this conflagration of divine love, which continues to burn with infinite charity, found no room or element for its flames. One twenty-three. From the understanding which has been given me of the mystery of the love of Christ, the Lord for his most holy mother, and of the force with which he was drawn toward her, I would go so far as to say that if he had not found this way of remaining with her in the sacramental species, he would have come down from the right hand of the Father to the world in order to render companionship to his mother, while she sojourned with his church. And if it had been necessary that the heavenly mansions and the celestial courtiers should be deprived of the presence of the most sacred humanity from that time, he would have considered that of less importance than to be deprived of the company of his mother. It is no exaggeration to say this, when we all must confess that in the purest Mary, the Lord found a correspondence and a degree of love more conformable to his will than in all the blessed combined, and consequently his own love for her exceeded his love for all others. If the shepherd of the gospel leaves the ninety-nine sheep in order to go in search of one, only that is lost, and if we nevertheless dare not say of him that he leaves the greater for the less, it should not cause wonder in us that the divine shepherd should leave all the rest of the saints in order to be in the company of his most sincere sheep, who clothed him with her own nature and raised and nourished him as a mother. Without a doubt, the eyes of his beloved spouse and mother would attract him in swiftest flight from those heights. Canticle 6.4, to that earth where he had lived, whither he had before this come for the salvation of the children of Adam, toward whom he was less attracted, yea, rather repelled by their sins and by the necessity of suffering for them. If now he descended to live with his beloved mother, it would not be to suffer and die, but to enjoy the delights of her company. 
Fortunately, it was not necessary to rob heaven of his presence, since by descending in sacramental form he could satisfy both his own love and that of his most blessed mother, in whose heart, as in his couch, this true Solomon could take up his rest without leaving the right hand of the Eternal Father. Canticle 3.7 124. The manner of operating this miracle was as follows. As the communion of the Most Blessed Mary, the sacramental species, instead of entering the proportion of the stomach, where the natural food is commingled and rarefied, and instead of being mixed up or digested, with even the little nourishment sometimes taken by the greatest lady, halted on their passage, and lodged within the heart of Mary, as if in repayment of the blood which had given up at the incarnation of the Word, and from which was formed the sacred humanity for hypostatical union with the Word, as has been explained in the second part. The participation of the Holy Eucharist is called an extension of the Incarnation, and therefore it was proper that the Most Blessed Mother should share in this participation in a new and a singular manner, since she also concurred in the Incarnation of the Word in a miraculous and extraordinary manner. 125. The heat of the heart in the perfectly healthy beings is very great, and in man it is certainly not the less on account of his greater excellence and nobility of nature, and of his prolonged life and activity. And the providence of nature supplies it with air and ventilation, for its refreshment, and for moderating that heat, which is the source of all the other animal warmth. Yet though, in the noble constitution of our great queen, the ardors of her heart were intense, and though the affections and operations of her inflamed love still more increased them, nevertheless the sacred species, while lodged in her heart, were not charged or consumed. Moreover, although multiplied miracles were required in order to preserve them, they are not to be attributed sparingly in this singular being, a creature who was altogether a prodigy and a summary of wonders. This favor began at the first communion, and through the preservation of the species continued until the second communion received at the hands of St. Peter on the octave of Pentecost. Then, as the new species took their place in her heart, the former ones were consumed. By this miraculous exchange, the previous sacramental species continued to yield their place to those she received in her communions, until the end of her life, so that she was never deprived of the presence of her Son and God in sacramental form. This concludes our reading today for day number 293. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 118 to 125. In the church today, we know of many of the Eucharistic miracles that have taken place. Perhaps one of the most famous, the miracle of Lanciano, where the priest took bread, as you do at any Mass, and it turned into the very flesh of Jesus, able to be adored and venerated to this very day. There are many other accounts of Eucharistic miracles that have been handed down to us, and it seems that in our readings today, we have one of the very first Eucharistic miracles, that the early church, without a proper place to worship, without a tabernacle that we have today, that Mary became the living tabernacle of the Word of God, that as she was that living tabernacle, from the moment of the conception of Jesus in her womb at the Incarnation, that now through the Holy Eucharist, she also remains that living tabernacle of Christ. And we heard that he comes into her heart. And so her heart is a Eucharistic heart. Not only do we talk about her immaculate heart and her sorrowful heart, but now 
Her heart contains that Eucharist, contains the very presence of Jesus. And the apostles are drawn to her. The people of God are drawn to her. They want to make adoration of Jesus, who they sense and know is in her. We heard he was continually adored with highest reverence and piety by the most blessed mother and was never offended as he is now in our churches. Wow. Consider this. This is being written to Maria of Agreda. And now we live many, many years removed from it. How much more does this word speak to us today? The lack of reverence we have in churches, turning them into social halls. The lack of reverence where maybe people don't genuflect, where people don't even enter the church to adore the Lord. And so he's offended. He wants our adoration. He wants our worship. Mary is a perfect model for us of what it means to adore and to worship the Lord. Maybe today we ask her to help us. We ask her to show us how it is that we should worship and adore her son present in the Holy Eucharist. There's a beautiful prayer that says, May the heart of Jesus, present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, be praised, loved, and adored with grateful affection at every moment in all the tabernacles of the world, even until the end of time. May we be a part of that adoration. May we bring Christ true worship. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.